This week, we have Isaiah in his element. And I can imagine that Isaiah was very relieved and pleased to be able to write this message. Let's open with a word of prayer. Almighty God, how awesome you are. Lord, we read of your power and your might. We look to the universe and how insignificant we are before your creation. How much smaller must we be when we come before you. Heavenly Father, we are so undeserving of your generosity and your kindness and your love. Your love is greater than all the heavens. And Lord, we are so undeserving. We are overcome by the kindness that you show us. Even the greatest things that we can imagine about you, about your characteristics, are just figments of what you truly are. Heavenly Father, we are lost without you. Our sin and our failure weigh us down. We fail to look to you for our salvation. We forget. We need to be ever reminded. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We ask you to come down and be with us. Remind us so that we do not fall short. Let us not follow after our own hearts, but to you and to you only. Would we open our hearts? Heavenly Father, give us the wisdom to heed the words of your prophet Isaiah and to understand them. Give us that discernment, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to cover chapter 27 of Isaiah. We're going to cover the whole chapter today. It's only 13 verses. And once again, we are looking at a song that Isaiah has put together. It's a song of redemption, a song of God's faithfulness in protecting his people. This song speaks of the greatness of God. It speaks of righteousness, of the wicked, and of God's protection, and of resurrection. So let's go ahead and start. Verse 1. <clears throat> In that day, the Lord, with his hard and great and strong sword, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. So immediately you have the image in your mind that there's this twisting serpent that's living in the sea. And... I need to caution you just a little bit about the image that is painted here and what the Hebrews use as metaphors. When the Hebrews talk about the sea in this sort of manner and, and because of Leviathan living in this particular sea, what you're actually seeing is that the Hebrews are speaking not of water, 
They were actually speaking of the secular political world and the politics in particular that go on in the secular political world. And because it's this continuous turmoil, always, in politics, the Jews have gone to referring to this as the relentless, endless, evil sea. And so when you see this sort of a comment, at least for me, I need to remind myself that this, they're actually speaking of a, a political sea that is going, that they're referring to here. So, God will punish the serpent in that day. God's sword is described it's just gone into a different mode. Go away. Here we go. And of course it resets. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay, here we are. God will punish the great serpent in that day. God's sword is described as hard and great and strong. Keep in mind, God's judgment is unrelenting, unswerving, and awesome. And the Leviathan is described as a serpent and as a dragon. So in Revelations 12, 9, 9 through 11, Revelations 12, 9 through 11, we have John. And John says, And the great dragon that was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. And the dragon that is in the great sea, the turbulent, unrelenting sea, this particular image of the sea points to the secular political world. And God slays the dragon, which is Satan. Continuing on in John, Revelation 13.1. Revelations 13.1 And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horn and blasphemous names on its heads. I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Revelations 21.1 Revelations 21.1 And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And the sea was no more. So here, John is actually talking about the end of secular political power. I do not think he means a literal end of the sea. The immensity of the sea is one of the great images of our God, 
of God's immense and unrelenting power. And I do not believe that God, that John here is talking about God literally doing away with the sea. So, and by the way, behind God's people always stands Jesus. And behind the wicked powers of the earth always stands Satan. Always. We see that repeated over and over. So verses 2 and 3, back to Isaiah 27, verses 2 and 3. Once again, in that day, in that day a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it. Lest anyone punish it, I keep it night and day. Again, a metaphor. Isaiah is not talking about grapevines here. Isaiah is singing of God's people and how God zealously protects his people. He cares for the church. He cultivates it and keeps watch over his people. Psalm 121, 4 and 5. Psalm 121, 4 and 5. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. God is the one who is there taking care of his people. And Isaiah is singing of God caring for his people. Verses 4 and 5. God continues with his message. I have no wrath. Would that I had thorns and briars to battle. I would march against them. I would burn them up together. Or let them lay hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. This short verse begins and ends with the same thought. I have no wrath, and let them make peace with me. God forgives. God's forgiveness is beyond anything that we can imagine. And God stands ready to do battle with the thorns and the briars. God accepts all who come to Jesus. Continuing on, verse 6. In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. The promise again. God is not speaking of vineyards. He is talking literally of God's church. We are Israel, and we are supposed to be there. We are there standing for Jesus. John 15, 1 through 8. John 15, 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he 
it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. It's fascinating to me how much of this goes back and forth between Isaiah and John. John has all this imagery in him, and he connects with these same ideas that are in Isaiah here. Verses 7 and 8, Isaiah continues, Has he struck them as he struck those who struck them? Or have they been slain as their slayers were slain? Measure by measure, by exile you contend with them. He removed them with his fierce breath in the day of the east wind. God deals more harshly with the oppressors of God's people than when God punishes Israel. The nations who oppose Israel are no more. None of the nations that we have talked about exist anymore. Even Egypt, that particular political system within Egypt is now gone. Verse 9. Therefore, by this, the guilt of Jacob will be atoned for, and this will be the full fruit of the removal of his sin. When he makes all the stones of the altars like chalk stones crushed to pieces, no asherim or incense altars will remain standing. God promises redemption and salvation and restoration. There will no longer be any false idols or false prophets or false altars before our God. Jesus accomplishes our atonement. John 11.52 John 11.52 And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Verse 10 Verse 10 is speaking of Jerusalem. For the fortified city is solitary, a habitation deserted and forsaken like the wilderness. There the calf grazes, there it lies down and strips its branches. The city built by man stands vacant and abandoned. Farm animals graze there, overgrown by brush and thickets. And the city of, Israel, of Jerusalem stayed that way for many years. Verse 11. When its boughs are dry, they are broken. Women come and make a fire of them. For this is a people without discernment. Therefore, he who made them will not have compassion on them. He who formed them will show them no favor. Verse 11 here. The city will be nothing more than brittle branches and dry brush. The people have no regard for their creator. They are fools. God who made them, the creator of all, 
is given no regard by them. Every time I see images of the Middle East today, you, you've seen the recent pictures of Gaza and of the areas around Tel Aviv. There is no brush there. Nothing grows there. And so when they describe these places as having thickets, I don't th tend to think of this place where they live now. I, it's hard for me to reconcile those two images, what Isaiah says and what I know of Israel today that I see on the evening news. It doesn't, it doesn't compute to me. There's something I don't understand here. Verses 12 and 13. In that day, from the river Euphrates to the brook of Egypt, the Lord will thresh out grain, and you will be gleaned one by one, O people of Israel. And in that day, a great trumpet will be blown, and those who were lost in the land of Assyria and those who were driven out of the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain at Jerusalem. In that day, God will cultivate from the east, the Euphrates, to the west. The brook of Egypt, of course, is the Nile. All of God's people. This is the promised land for God's people. Isaiah speaks of the threshing out of the grain, which is an image of God separating God's people from the world. God is gathering his church to himself. In Isaiah 11.16, Isaiah 11.16, Isaiah talks of a great highway. And there will be a highway from Assyria and the remnant that remains of his people as there was for Israel when they came up out of the land of Egypt. Later on in Isaiah 35, 8 through 10. Isaiah 35, 8 through 10. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And all those who belong to God will come together to worship the Lord in his new Jerusalem. This image that we have, and even when it speaks of the Euphrates to the Nile, that's not necessarily what it's saying. It's a metaphor about the east and the west. And all those who belong to the Lord, from as far to the east as it's necessary to go, and as far to the west as it's necessary to go, will come to the Lord on that day when he comes to establish his new Jerusalem. And this ends our passage today. 
This entire song is just a simple, very small set of verses. And it begins with, in that day. And it ends with, in that day. And it's a song of redemption. Isaiah sings this song of redemption, of how God will redeem Israel and bring all of God's people to his holy mountain to worship him. This is the promise. God will be there in the end. It is God who is the only one that can save. And Jesus is the one who makes it happen. He is the one that pays the price, the redemption. And Jesus is there calling to us, calling us to him. Jesus had to pay for our rebellion against God, our sin, our unfaithfulness. God takes our guilt away, and our sin is atoned for by Jesus' death on the cross. Isaiah is pointing us back to Jesus right here. And he's telling us to look to Jesus. Isaiah is telling us to change the way that we live in the world. Isaiah wants us to be more like Jesus. How well are we doing this? Are we aware of the forces of right and wrong in our culture, the political sea? Are we becoming more Christ-like by looking to God? And the more we look towards Jesus, the more we become like him. God loves us all. I look into the chaos in the world today. I find it very difficult to watch the evening news. There's two channels, and I flip back and forth. And then one will say something that makes me mad, and I'll flip to the other one, right? And then, not five minutes later, the other one will say something that makes me mad, and I flip back. And, all right, that's it. Off. <laughs> How this message sounds so much like the world we live in now. We should hide from evil. And I think of how I fail at this daily. And God knows that I am not where I need to be yet. He's still working on me. And I'm on my knees praying to him. Looking for that love that I need that is beyond all comprehension or understanding. On that day, God's greatness will be there for us to see. And we will all witness his greatness and his splendor on that day. Let's pray. Lord, you are so great and we are so incredibly small. You have kept your words all these years written by the prophet Isaiah and handed them down so that we could have them. Down through all these ages, you have given them to us. Lord, we have been unfaithful. We keep trying to save ourselves. We think that if we read this book or listen to this author or... No, Heavenly Father, we need to learn to look to you. You continue to hold us in the palm of your hand and you lovingly guide us and care for us. Heavenly Father, hide your word in our hearts. 
we read these words of your prophet, the prophet Isaiah. And we ask you to write these words, carve them on our hearts, deep down inside of us. Heavenly Father, give us the lessons we must learn, the ones that can only come from you. Guide our feet in your perfect path. Heavenly Father, we look at your plan of redemption and how perfect it is and how amazing. Let us not smooth out your rock. That is not who we should be. Lord Jesus, you died in our place to save us, to redeem us for your Father. Jesus, you are so amazing, and we love you, and we bless you and honor you, and we praise your name above all other names, the name of Jesus, amen.